0: Hello, it's Katie, and welcome, almost a year later, to the John Galt Podcast. I wanted to reattempt recording my pilot episode because I wanted to do a better job of presenting the ideas that I wanted to share, and I wanted to give more credit to the authors whose ideas I grapple with. I just wanted to maybe sound more comfortable in presenting these ideas. So my goal with this pilot episode was to connect some philosophical underpinnings of resistance and sovereignty over self to the dilemma we're facing today with regard to the state of the free world. What's left of it. So I'd like to enter into a sort of brief discussion on that. And a year later, we're entering into the Easter season again, so with that comes those same themes of resurrection and renewal and restoration. As we look through the human evolution of consciousness and belief, it's an interesting question of why do we still need to recognize those themes? Why are they significant to us personally? And what leads to the culmination of those themes? So. I would argue in part it's the idea of sacrifice which is an idea we're confronted with in a multitude of ways Jordan Peterson talks about things having implicit but unrecognized value and follows that idea with the idea of bargaining with the future which is sacrifice right and this is interesting because we relate Western culture to those themes through the story of Christ most often lately I've been reviewing the novel Atlas Shrugged, which some of you may recognize holds the namesake of this podcast. The recurring question in the novel is Who is John Galt? And to me, that was sort of a a uniting idea that there are either questions whose answers are very difficult to find, or there are questions with answers that are so obvious that to the common person the question seems arbitrary. And the novel brings about ideas of self-determination, rugged individualism, which unites with this sort of spiritual idea of sovereignty over self. So those themes have become more prominent since quarantine because many of us have become more vocal in questioning the power of the state. Many of us have also been moved to question the true meaning of virtue. Since 2019, the postmodernists, and in all truth, within the last three decades prior, have fought to take advantage of what Churchill would call a good crisis. Quickly, society has regressed into this postmodernist use of obvious symbols to tout virtue as if to fall on a sword is some inflated social currency. So for centuries, we've seen humanity wrestle over which modes of virtuous behavior are intrinsic versus environmental. So nature versus nurture, but one idea about virtue remains true, perhaps universally so. And Peterson articulates this best that some must be courageous enough to leap into the chaos or the unknown potential in order to design a habitable reality. Someone must restore or engender order. And we see this plainly in Christian mythology, right? Where Christ must sacrifice himself in order to defeat the chaos, Satan, and must defeat the potential for destruction. So, through his resurrection, order becomes sovereign. This is important because when we consider the state of the world we're living in currently, The theme of totalitarianism, I think, has been forefront in a lot of our minds. The totalitarian state thrives in chaos. And whether you look to the self or to God as the highest form of consciousness, you must realize the effort to which the state will go to replace God or replace that which society defines as the highest good. The state will manufacture chaos to do this. If left to society to define the highest virtue, the mob will rule. This is how socialism happens. This is why Hoppe considered democracy the god that failed, because the most powerful will become those controlling the fate of those remaining. A great way to understand this idea is through reading Hannah Arendt's introduction to totalitarianism. One condition for totalitarianism she discusses is a chaos of opinions within society, what she calls the masses. The masses, in their desperation, will concede control to a demagogue. So what do we do? We put the masses in a desperate situation. At first, I believed this growing dissension we had seen was class warfare, which plays out time again in history. But... Arendt posits that masses and classes differ because class relates to people with a united interest in the production of something, and this is part of why capitalism works, right? Because it's a a consensual exchange of things that are needed being produced. Um, I'm really good at knitting sweaters. I knit a few extra. You grow a few extra sweet potatoes, and we trade, and Masses exist outside of a particular organized group. So we saw this play out with the sort of East Berlin-style autonomous zones that formed during the height of the pandemic. These are people who lack a particular set of convictions. They embody chaos. Arendt also posits that masses erupt from turmoil, like what we saw during the same period of time, a sort of Lenin-esque social stratification happening where citizens were confronted by media to the point that media controlled perceptions. They offered numerous interests with which people could identify right, race, class. Um, But these interests further stratify society. And this is still a problem. Baer describes the masses as lacking discernment and thus falling prey to the repetition of key ideas. Propaganda all that's required is consistency on the part of the propagandists. The masses will relinquish their bargaining power and resent those who do not relinquish their own. Of course, this aligns with the Western value of capitalism and determination, or self-determination rather. As Peterson would say, we can bargain with our future selves by delaying gratification. We have a conceptualization of future which can be vindicated. However, totalitarianism requires an element of fantasy and imagination when the consistency of imagined virtue symbols are interrupted by tradition and this is why tradition is so important people get upset at the conservatives for wanting to hold on to particular traditions moral evaluations but when the consistency of imagined virtue symbols are interrupted by tradition or by traditional moral evaluations the postmodernists become triggered they rely on what Arendt calls fiction that synchronizes with their own experiences. They don't care whether there's truth in the tenets of their own belief because the vindication of those beliefs is off somewhere in that unforeseeable future for which they don't find themselves responsible. This is the opposite of bargaining with the future. This is uprooting everything now to get the outcome you want in the immediate present without any responsibility for what lack there could be later on. And so we return to postmodernism. This merges with this development of philosophy, of politics, where we're seeing relativism, moral relativism, the idea that everything which survives from the past must be killed, just like General Mao did. The idea that God is dead, right? Nietzsche. But when the traditions and the heroic values of the past are killed, and we as society would have killed them, we will still worship something. And that something is the state. The state becomes sovereign. We can refer to Mises' definition of statolatry, worship or glorification of the state at the expense of all else, including personal welfare and independent thought. And this coincides with Arendt's discussion of the masses, those at the periphery of a society. So back to delayed gratification and sacrifice. What is there to do in response to the chaotic force of stratification and ignorance? While those of us who have avoided falling prey to the critical theories, which would place us in the periphery of our society, those of us who recognize the recurring patterns of totalitarianism, which always leaves the same destruction in its path, must leap into the chaos and create order. We must stop vindicating the fictitious reality and virtues, and accept that the potential for chaos existing within each member of the masses will despise the order which we challenge them to face. It's the burden of responsibility that comes with liberty, right? It's you make choices, and there are consequences. And sticking with the theme of mythological sacrifice as an archetype and the Christ, it says in Matthew 10.22, I think, that you will be hated all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end that will be saved. This is a representation You have to avoid slavery under the guise of virtue. You must endure being hated by the masses in order to endure to an end which can be vindicated by truth. The experience of the masses is predicated on lies. Remain sovereign over yourself. Protect your covenant with that which is eternal and accept the conditions of life through the use of reason. Our rights are intrinsically linked with our humanity. And as Peterson says, the confrontation with chaos must be voluntary and truthful. So we have to seek out truth in the furthest depth of the reality that we're paving and we have to believe in the righteousness of truth over fictitious virtue. That concludes my discussion on the meaning of sacrifice and how it's displayed through myth and archetypes with regard to Western culture and values and how it relates to The prevention of the totalitarian state. Sacrifice is indeed the height of virtue and the key to sovereignty over oneself. It's how we combat totalitarian evil. And I hope this mobilizes those of you with any tenacity and common sense to continue battling chaos with reason. And I hope that you enjoy the first episode and that you've engaged with the ideas I present and the authors with whose ideas I've interacted really appreciate you listening. Thank you.